as God's people with the authority of Jesus. Ask God. He wants to bring his kingdom into this world. So let's ask God what greater things he wants to do in this town. So um, so what, I'm, what we're going to do, I'm going to just lead us in praying for the family of, of Darren and other people affected. Um, and then maybe let's just take a moment for each of us to, to, in our heads, say, God, what would we want you to do here? What do we want you to do in Digcot and in the surrounding area? And then I'll sort of gather all our prayers together. Father, we want to pray for this town, for the people here. We want to pray particularly for the family of Darren McCormack and the others injured or affected by uh, that, that fight and uh, tragic death uh, this week, Lord. We pray for your comfort, your help, your healing for the people who are injured. We pray for justice to be done as well. And we pray uh, for you to bring even in this terrible situation, your love and your goodness, we pray. Let's think of the greater things that we want God to do here. Um, maybe in your heart, name them before God. Father, I want to thank you that you have great plans for this town, for the villages and towns around. You want to see your kingdom uh, coming in more and more reality into this place. We pray, would you do greater things than we've seen, greater salvation, greater transformation, greater good news to the poor, greater healing to the sick. Would you bring more, we pray. And all the things you've put on our hearts, I pray you'd help us to, to pray for them, to water them, and to be part of what you're doing here to bring your kingdom and love to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, well, we are going to be talking about vision in a moment. Um, Stuart, if you could have a look for my PowerPoint, which should be on the desktop. <laughs> I asked him to help, and obviously he's got the wrong glasses on, which is quite relevant because we're talking about vision. It's good to be able to see. You haven't got 20-20 vision. Actually, I am going to need two volunteers. Can I have two volunteers to help me with something in a mo? Okay, yeah, come on, Ruth, that's wonderful. Ian, is that you volunteering? Yes, good, come on, brilliant. Um, just move this out of the way to here. Um, we're going to be talking about vision. Um, first, I thought we'd have a little bit of a practical challenge. Oops. Okay. We have a target. Uh, we have a bow. Yeah. Um, either of you guys done much archery? You've done it. Okay, good. A little bit of a... Pull on that. Um, right, okay, first off, we need to find out uh, which one is your dominant eye. So, if you want to look through that so you can see my eye. Actually, yeah, do it like that. Okay, so it's your right eye, 
and it's your left eye. So, so Ian, that means you would normally shoot this way around. Yep. Okay, good. Do you want to step back to there and have a practice? I should say health and safety. Don't hit anyone. Okay, uh, that's good. So pull it back, pull it back towards the side of your face. Oh, pretty good. Good, lovely. Um, okay, so you can have those ones. Ruth, you're the other way around. So you hold that in your right arm. The hand doesn't actually affect it. It's your eye, which is the important thing. Yeah. If I can't do this, if I am right-handed and I'm being... Don't worry, this is, this is the way that... You should all duck. Okay, <laughs> so you pull it back towards the side of your cheek. Okay. Uh, so just, um, if you just hold with two fingers, actually. So just the tips of two fingers. Oh, good one. Okay, that was just the practice. Uh, and they're pretty good now. I think we need to have some people cheering. So maybe if you're on that side of the room, can you cheer for Ruth? If you're on this side of the room, can you cheer for Ian? Now, we thought to have a real challenge. Really, it would be better if they couldn't actually see, because that's sort of rancing off. So we're going to do some blind archery. So there you go. You can hold this first. Um, let's get some arrows. Okay, Lizzie suggested that we spin everyone around, but I thought that would be a bit too risky, so <laughs> we're not doing that. I will just put that in for you there. Okay. okay. Right, okay, good. Do that. Okay, good luck. Give them a cheer. Oh! That's pretty good. That's an eight. That's pretty good. Ruth, come on, your turn. Right, let me set this up for you. Yeah, that would be helpful. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I know. Still. Take one last look at what you're aiming at. Right, so hand on there, two fingers there. Am I aiming the right way? Yeah, you're doing good. Well, you missed the target, but it was a pretty good shot. Brilliant. Thank you, my contestants. That's wonderful. There we go. The point is, knowing what you're aiming at and being able to see it is really quite helpful. Uh, it's easier to hit the target when you can see it. And that's what vision is about. Ah, have you found my toolkit? Oh, well, it should be on the desktop, and it should have today. It should be called Love God. That's it. Good, brilliant. We have the technology. Somewhere there's a clicker as well. Okay, so um, wow. Could you also have a look for the clicker in there, Stuart? Thank you. Okay, so it really helps if you can see what you're aiming at. And the thing is, God has a vision. Um, 
We see it again and again in the Bible, expressed in various ways. That needs to go into the USB. Um, that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That uh, all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That God loved the world so much that he sent his son. And here in Ephesians, sort of, he puts it uh, quite succinctly. God's will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He wants to bring every division that's between people and that's between people and God. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to bring everything together under Christ. He wants everyone to know his love and to love each other. That is God's big vision. A vision to transform this whole creation so that it is full of the love and the presence of God uh, under Jesus. He has a vision, a big vision. As Jesus, as he walked around the earth, he expressed that in various different ways. Uh, someone once asked him, uh, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? What is it above all else that God wants us to do? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he might have stopped there, but he didn't. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, basically all the Old Testament, half of this Bible, uh, hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. He's at the heart of fulfilling this great vision that God has. That's his heart, that everyone should love God and everyone should love others, should bring his love in. And at King's Church, uh, we have a vision. Um, unsurprisingly, perhaps, we've tried to fit it in with God's vision and his commands. And we encapsulate that in something called our, our strap line. Um, our strap line is loving God, loving others. So we put that on all our sort of T-shirts and brochures. Um, we hope that our strap line describes us. Our aim with the strap line is that if someone was to, to ask, oh, what's the King's Church like? Hopefully, people who knew us would say, oh, they're a church. You really love God and love others. That's what we would really like it to be. It's meant to be to describe us. Um, but we also have a slightly more detailed vision statement. The idea of the vision statement is to guide us. The strap line describes us. The vision statement guides us. It helps us to know how to do that. Okay, before I bring it up, who can remember? It's three things. Uh, you want to do it? Steve wants to do it. He wants to do visual aerobics. That's good. I do have a special way to help us Remember this. Steve is going to help me in a mo. Okay. Our vision. Okay, there's lots of us doing it. A few years ago, if you're a newcomer here, you will not have had the great pleasure of visuerobics. Visuerobics is a way of remembering our vision by acting it out. Some people do not like this which is why I only do it about once a year. Okay, so the first part of our vision is love God. And to help us remember that, 
We're going to have an action. Does everyone stand up? Come on. Okay. And this is expressing our worship to God. So love God. Put your hands up. That's good. The second part of our vision statement is build church. It's about joining together with God's people. So find someone, join your arms with them. Maybe a couple of people. There you go. Right, okay, that's good. Everyone got it? Good. Brilliant. Um, the third bit is reach out. So you start, okay, so you join your arms on, and then you sort of put your arms out like that, okay, because we're reaching out to people, show them God's love. Okay, brilliant. Okay, right. Well done. Do you want to do it again? Yeah, yeah, okay. Love God. Built church, there we go. Reach out. Jolly good, jolly good, jolly good. Right, okay. It guides us. Here we go. Here's the three bits of it. Okay. It now gets slightly more complicated. So we had this vision statement for quite a while. Um, five years ago, when we were about to start leading the church, God spoke to me, and he, he gave me uh, three keys for this, this sort of time uh, of leading the church, of how we were uh, going to move forward and what he wanted us to focus on. Um, and I thought about them and prayed about them. After about three months, I realized that they actually fitted in uh, with the vision statement. Obviously, God knew that. I hadn't really twigged it for a while. Um, but there are particular aspects of that. So, the first one, in terms of love God, I felt he wanted us to focus on making Christ our king. So actually making him in charge of what we do in our lives, choosing to follow him, doing things his way. In terms of build church, I felt that the key at that point and still is being a team, how we work together to do things God's way, to bring his kingdom in. And in terms of reach out, I felt there was a particular reshaping to reach out. We had to change how we were in order to bring God's love to people. We've partly done that through the whole missional community thing, but I think there's more that God wants to do in that. Now, there are some special visual aerobics for this. You want to do them? Yes, I knew you did. Okay, here are the special viscerobics, okay? Making Christ our king. It's like you take this crown on your head and you offer it to God, okay? Offer it to him. Okay, good? Uh, being a team. Okay, so stand up, forget everyone. Now, you do the same sort of huddle thing, but you actually do it in a huddle. So get round into huddles like this. There you go. Okay, that's good. Everyone good? Okay, doing well. And then, reshaving to reach out, you take your huddle and you turn it outwards. Like that. Okay? It's like the washing machine game. That's all good. Brilliant. Well done. Thank you. You may sit down. That's brilliant. Well done. Okay. That's done. That's probably over for a year. Um, unless, I mean, Richard's preaching in a few weeks. He might do that. Oh. 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 Okay. So, today... I'm talking about the first of these, about making Christ our king. And I'm going to start with talking about what kind of king Jesus is. It was great to sing all those worship songs, talking about him being the king today and to cheer uh, when the king came out. But I'm going to talk about what kind of king is this Jesus. I'm going to talk about a king of promise, a king of power, and a king of passion. And then... I'm going to look at what's our response to this king. How do we make him king in our hearts and in our, our lives? So, what kind of king? A king of promise. 
we talked about how God has a vision, a big vision, a vision to reunite this whole universe under Christ. Uh, the Bible is his story of how he's doing it. And we see again and again in the Bible promises of what he's going to do. It's like bit by bit through the years, through the story of the people of Israel and then of Jesus and his disciples, there is more and more of God's promise revealed. So about 4,000 years ago, um, God spoke to a man called Abraham um, living in what's now Iraq. Um, and he said to him, through your descendant, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He promised that through his family and his descendant, all the families of the earth will be blessed. A thousand years later, a descendant of Abraham, uh, his name got changed to, David has become king in Jerusalem. And God says to him, I will raise up one of your descendants who's going to rule forever. Lots of other prophets in the Old Testament and the Bible then fill in the gaps, fill in pictures. There's this picture emerging of this amazing godly king that is going to come. Um, he's often called the anointed one because that's what they, they did with kings. They poured oil on their heads uh, to anoint them. It still actually happens in our coronation service. There's a point called the chrism where there's an anointing of the king or queen. Um, but they called him the Messiah, which means the anointed one in Hebrew. When that got translated into, into Greek, it became Christ, which means anointed one in Christ. Um, Isaiah, the prophet, says of him, of the increase of the Messiah's government and of peace, there will be no end. It's going to keep getting more peace, more godly rule through him. Ezekiel tells us that the king will somehow be God himself come to rescue us, which sort of is a bit mind-blowing and doesn't seem to make sense in that context, but that God himself is going to come as the king to rescue his people. And then, 2,000 years ago, roughly, Jesus is born. We've been hearing the story over the last month. Uh, an angel tells Mary that he will be the descendant of David and the Son of God. He will be God with us. The angels tell the shepherds that a saviour has been born who is the Messiah, God's promised king. And he's going to bring peace. He walks, he talks, he teaches, he heals. It seems that God has come to town. The kingdom of God is breaking in. And then something surprising, something shocking, something awful happens. He is arrested. He's falsely accused. He's condemned. And finally, he's killed on a cross. It seems that it's all gone wrong. It's all failed. It was all for nothing. But you know what? That's not all that was promised. You see, 600 years earlier, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of this strange figure. We call, we call it the suffering servant, or call him the suffering servant, um, if you look at it in Isaiah. Let's pick up a little bit from Isaiah chapter 53. He says of this thing, prophesying 600 years before Jesus, he says, surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Something unexpected, an unexpected promise, a promise of a king who's not only going to come and bring God's kingdom, but who's going to suffer, who's going to die, and somehow, as he dies, takes on himself the wounds, the sins, the transgressions of, of, all, of all people. It's like as he died, he took all that we had done wrong, all the punishment we deserved on himself, on the cross. He took our sin, our wrongdoing, and gave us his righteousness in its place. It's like a transfer, uh, or he substitutes his righteousness for our sin. And after he suffered, he didn't stay dead. It says he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. God raised him from death. He's alive now. He's working out that promise, bringing it all together. He's the king of the promise. And he's a king who makes promises to us. As he walked, uh, as he, as he walked the earth, he said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way turn away. If we come to him, we can know that he will receive us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon you. It's a picture from a, a couple of oxen. Um, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, whoever believes in me, out of their inmost being, will flow rivers of living water, by which he meant the Holy Spirit, who comes to refresh us, who, to give us life on the inside. He said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. He said, surely I am with you, to the very end of the age. He's a king who makes promises. He's a king who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. He's a king who makes promises. And he's a king of power. You see, Jesus came in God's power. 
as he walked the earth, he changed things. He healed the sick. He drove out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He miraculously multiplied food. He walked on water and helped Peter to do so. He even raised people from the dead. And it's not just power for this life. After he died on a cross, the Bible says that death could not hold him. Death. It's like the ultimate statistic. Everyone dies, but Jesus defeated death. On the third day, he rose again to life. And that power is available to us today. God can heal. God can do miracles. God can even raise the dead uh, through Jesus. I'm living evidence of God's healing power. Um, For about eight years, I had Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is not normally an illness you get better from. It's a sort of uh, basically ulceration of the um, intestines. Um, I had this period of about eight years where every three, four, five months, I would have a flare-up. I'd lose a lot of weight. I'd be pretty ill. Eventually, I'd go on a course of steroids, which sort of sorted it out for the time being. Six, eight months later, I'd have another flare-up, whole thing repeated. Um, I was at a church, a Christian meeting, Christian sort of event. Someone had a prophetic word. Um, the picture they described that God had given them was just like uh, the picture I'd seen from a barium meal I'd had of a scan of my small intestine. Lovely. Um, but he said that God wanted to heal it. Um, I had one more flare-up six months later, and for 15 years, I've been cured, healed. No symptoms, no medication, no Crohn's. Does God always heal? No. Do I wish we saw God healing more? Yes. But his power is here. He can heal. He can transform situations. He is the king of power. And he's the king of passion. Passion is a strong word. Um, I want to use it in three ways. I want to talk about passionate love. I want to talk about compassion. And I want to talk about Christ's passion, which is where the word comes from originally in our language, his suffering for us. If you feel passionate about someone or about something, you really love them. (laughs) It's consuming. It fills your heart, your life. You know, Christ is a king who is passionate about us, each one of us. He loves each one of us so much. It says in 1 John 4.10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's passionate about each one of us. He cares about who we are, how we feel, what's going on in our lives. And not just us, not just the people who know him already, the people who don't know him yet, the people who are on a journey. He cares so much. He's so passionate for us. And he's the king of compassion. 
He understands us. He sympathizes for us. Um, this is taken from a beautiful story of uh, Jesus healing a leper. Uh, that picture up there. So um, in uh, that society at the time, um, lepers were considered to be unclean. Um, they couldn't touch anyone, and no one could touch them, because if you touch them, you became unclean yourself, which meant that you couldn't go to the temple, you had to uh, be out of, outside of the community and various other things. Um, Jesus comes across a leper. Um, this leper, this man who's got leprosy, has probably not been touched by another human being, I don't know, for days, for months, for years. Had no physical touch. Um, the leper says to, to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And it happens the wrong way around. According to the law, what was meant to happen is that Jesus would then be unclean. He's touched the leper. But he reached out, he touched him and he makes him clean. He heals his leprosy. He doesn't just say the words. He comes with compassion. He knows our weakness. It says in the book of Hebrews, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. That's Jesus. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's the king of compassion. And he's the, the king of, of Christ's passion, if you like. He's the one who suffered for us. That's what this word passion actually comes from. It comes from a Latin word, patiens, for suffering. And it's used to refer to Christ's suffering for us. His decision to go to the cross, to be flogged, to be walked through the streets of Jerusalem, bearing his own cross um, with a crown of thorns on his head, to be uh, nailed to a wooden cross, and left to die for us. That's what he did. That's his passion for us, his suffering for us. He did it because he wanted to know us. He did it because we mattered to him. He did it because he loved you and me and every person in this world. He's the king of passion. So, What's our response to this kind of king, this king of promise, this king of power, this king of passion? Jesus tells his disciples in, in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, because our response to someone like that is love, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. A little bit later he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Uh, later at the end of Matthew, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. How do we respond to the love of this amazing king? What's the key marker? The key marker of loving Jesus is obeying him. This is quite a hard one in our culture, to be honest. It's quite countercultural. Um, we don't think much about obedience, um, about following orders, unless perhaps we're in the armed forces or the emergency services um, or those sort of 
organizations. But actually, our culture, unusually in the history of cultures around the world, tends to celebrate the opposite. Um, our films, our drama, the heroes are the sort of the mavericks who disobey orders and you know, don't do what they've been told to do and all that sort of thing. Um, don't do what they're told. Um, we're not used to the concept, often, of obedience. In Jesus' day, it was very different. Uh, the king or the emperor had the power of life or death over people. They didn't really have much of a choice whether or not to obey. Or at least, if you exercised disobedience, it was not likely to end well for you. Um, for most of us, we're not often faced with those kind of stark choices. So it's hard for us to get our heads around it. But it's what Jesus calls us to, to obey him. But here's the thing. What kind of king calls us to obey him? It's not a mad, power-hungry Roman emperor like Nero or Caligula. It's not a selfish aristocrat. It's not an uncaring, unknowing, distant person that we might never know. It's this king. It's Jesus Christ. The king of promise. Promised by God who came and gives promises that if we come to him, he will never send us away. It's a king of power who heal the sick, who can transform situations and change things. He's the king of passion for us, who loved us so much that he died for us on a cross. How we love God is by making Christ our king. It's like we did in that symbol there earlier, taking like the crown, the metaphorical crown off our head, if you like, and offering it to Jesus, saying, you know, I'm not going to try and do things my way anymore. I want to do it your way. I want to follow you. It's obedience, not because we must, but because we love him. Because above all, he first loved us. And my challenge for myself and for, for each of us at the start of 2020 is, will we make him king in our lives today and this year? Will we put him first? Obey him, whatever he calls us to, in our behavior, in our family, in the various choices we make with relationships and other issues, in our work, in our witness, in our finances. Will we make him king? Will we do what he says to us? And I want to give us an opportunity to respond. This is about our hearts. This is about how we respond, each of us, in our hearts. This is the crucial bit. Um, and yet there's also something about what we do with our physical bodies. And when we move them, it helps us to, to settle issues. So in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and give us each a moment just to think and reflect on who Jesus is, what kind of king he is what he means to us, what he calls from us. Um, and I'm going to invite you uh, to pray in your hearts to, to make God king, wherever you are on the journey with him. Um, and then for those who would like to, if you would like to actually do something physical to express that, I would encourage you to come and uh, stand 
or sit and kneel here, sort of maybe in this area or at the front, because sometimes it helps us to do something physical and say, yeah, I've done this. It helps us to remember and to make it real in our life. But, yeah, what, happened, what matters is in our hearts, so there's no obligation to do that, but it may be something you'd like to do uh, to help express that. Let's take a moment just to reflect, to pray. might be that um, you feel like you've never actually made Jesus Lord in your life. You've never chosen to follow him and do things his way. Well, you can do that today. You can say yes to him today. And I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that if that's what you want to do. It may be that there's particular areas where you feel like you've not been obeying Jesus, but you want to and you want help with that. Sometimes it can be helpful to tell someone what you're struggling with. What you find is that we all struggle with all the same sort of things and you know, things that we think no one else faces. Probably we all face the same sort of challenges. So you may want to talk to someone about that. Um, if you want to come and make a physical move to express that, do come and stand or sit at the front now. Um, and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the king of promise and of power and of passion. You're the one who loves us with an undying love, who will never turn us away. I thank you that each one of us, wherever we are at on our journey, matters to you. You see our hearts and you love us. And I want to pray that we would each put our trust in you this year, that we would obey you, whatever you call us, whatever you say to us, that we would above all put you and your ways first because you are our king and we want you to be king in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to um, we're going to sort of start the formal part of the meeting there, and there'll be teas and coffees in a bit. It might be that actually God is doing something in your heart at the moment, and you want to still sit and pray or listen to God. That's great. Feel free to stay where you are. If you want someone to talk with or pray with you, 
you know, get someone you trust, someone you get someone you know or trust, or grab me, and I will sort of find someone to talk or pray with you. Because um, God put us in this together. And uh, have a great week. See you next week. <laughs>